we had a collaboration with some Chinese com uh, Chinese uh, scientists. Here we have a vaccine. What is the problem? Get over it. Now, if we do a really great job on new vaccines, healthcare, reproductive health services, we could lower that by perhaps 10 or 15%. I hope that it can occur in a, a civil way. And I, 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 I mean civil in a special way, I, peaceful. The biggest question, in, maybe in economics and politics of the coming decade, will be what to do with all these useless people. I just see the need for such a dialogue, and I see the need for action. I see the need for a great reset. We are 1,082 days into 14 days to flatten the curve. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Johnny Anderson alongside Bruce Adams. Bruce, how are you today? Ah, healthy and alive. Yeah, had a good weekend. Nice thunderstorm last night. Uh, didn't blow away. We probably had a good, another 60, 80 mile an hour wind night. Uh, but yeah, no damage. Still alive. That's good. That's good. Uh, we are approaching very rapidly. We are approaching tornado season, are we not? Yeah, we're right at the beginning of it. Yep. Ex excuse me. I, we're approaching extreme weather events, right? Yeah, climate change. Yeah, man-made climate change. That's that's what it is. Yeah, that is. Unseasonally, you heard what uh, Kamal Harris had to say about climate change. I'm not going to play it again. I I did that to you once already in prep. I'm not going to do it again because the woman is just She's a terrible. complete blithering idiot. She is terrible. She she is legitimately terrible. We're going to start today with uh, with East Palestine, Ohio. And odd thing about that, there was a uh, there was an incident that took place about an hour north of there. And that was a, uh, uh, was it a steel mill, I believe it was, or a metal uh, producing plant or something like that, blew up. I, strange how these things just happen. You know, it's just all of a sudden it just, it blew up. Well, they decided that they were going to send a team up there, an environmental science team up there to do a little bit of investigating as to, um, well, the possible fallout of what happened with that uh that terrible, misfortunate accident at that metal producing facility in Ohio, just north of East Palestine. And after they had concluded their job in Bedford, they were on their way to East Palestine to take some samples. And this is what happened. We have breaking news tonight of a plane crash in Little Rock, Arkansas. Just minutes ago, we learned the people on board were actually headed here to Northeast Ohio to help clean up the Oakwood Village explosion from Monday. All five people on board worked for an environmental consulting firm. The plane took off from the Clinton National Airport around noon and was headed for John Glenn Columbus International Airport. Right now, we are digging into the story. We'll have much more on air and online as soon as we learn it. And wouldn't you know, they didn't learn a damn thing between when that happened and today. You've heard nothing else about it. Uh, it was a story for all of that much time, and then it disappeared. And it just so happened that the company that they worked for, that was one of the testing companies that were contracted by Norfolk Southern. It just happened to be that 
that entire science team that was going to be taking those readings, they all just, they mysteriously died in a, in a plane crash after the plane took off from, and you couldn't make it up, the Bill and Hillary Clinton National Airport in Little Rock, Arkansas. Uh, message sent, and um, I'm pretty sure it probably was received. I think so. And I, I agree with you. That's what it was. That was a message to anybody that was on their way up there. You better give us the right report that we want. Otherwise, yeah, that's going to be that's going to be it for you. Now, I did find that there was at least somebody in East Palestine that looked like that they were wanting to somewhat report on the correct thing. And this is a chemical engineer that has spent uh, his entire career in that industry. He's going to tell you his credentials. And I apologize for the uh, the botched audio kind of, I mean, but given the circumstances, it's it's Northeast Ohio. It's this time of year, a lot of flat land up there. There's a lot of wind and somebody's out there talking to this guy with their phone. So just bear that in mind. I do apologize. But what he has to say is extremely important. He is in East Palestine right now taking his own samples. Listen. For a lot of chemicals, including dioxin. We're doing a lot of soil sampling and water sampling. My view is that it was a bad decision to release it and burn it. So I have undergraduate and graduate degree in chemical engineering. I mean, I've brought respirators and stuff problem is you, to wear a respirator, you need to know what to protect from, right? Hydrocarbons, acid gases. We're here, I think, the first group independently to try to figure out what's really here because what they were measuring most of the time is what they call VOCs, which is just some generic. It's not a specific chemical, right? I couldn't in good conscience until we did some sampling data know what to protect against. I've been involved in these before. They know that things are going to dissipate with time, so they measure things that don't really matter. There's evidence that when you burn vinyl chloride poorly, and it was definitely burned poorly because it's had such a black plume. If you think of in the old days with a carburetor, if you had the air-fuel ratio wrong and you had black smoke, that meant you had too much fuel, not enough air. And that black is carbon, right? So it doesn't combust all the way to CO2. When there's incomplete combustion, there's, there's evidence that part of the vinyl chloride goes to dioxin, and dioxin is one of the most deadly compounds known. If you measured air, it has a lot of components like oxygen, nitrogen, it might have carbon monoxide, right? So if you measure VOCs, volatile organic carbons, that doesn't tell me anything other than you're measuring carbon. But I want to know, is it vinyl chloride? What is the individual component? So they purposely measure with a cheaper instrument, total hydrocarbons, but I want to know what the components are. You're the guy that made all the decisions. You got a control burn? Well, there's the lie. It wasn't a controlled burn, it was an uncontrolled burn. See, I'm a chemical engineer as well, as well as a top health and safety guy. I've got undergraduate and graduate degrees in chemical engineering. You're the first actual expert that we've gotten to speak to. In your opinion, why do you believe that it was an uncontrolled burn? Why are you using that terminology when so far everywhere else we've seen that it's a controlled burn? You could go to a place called West Liverpool downriver, and that's where they burn hazardous waste. And in a hazardous waste uh, situation, they very carefully control the temperature and the amount of oxygen so that they get complete combustion, right? It's time, temperature, and, and amount of the air-fuel ratio. There's no controlling of the amount of air that gets in there. That's why you saw all that soot. So it's not a controlled burn because a controlled burn would have to be like in a furnace or in your car or some system where you control the fuel, in other words, the vinyl chloride and the amount of oxygen. So they didn't do that. So it's an uncontrolled burn. One of the worst ways to determine exposure in general is to smell it because if you smell the odor, guess what? You're already exposed, right? How long have you been doing this? 
um, 30 years. I'm in most of the big named lawsuits as the exposure expert. It's a privilege. I get called in to try to figure some of this stuff out. So that's my job always is what really happened, you know. At least there is one person in there that seems like he is passionate about what he does and seems like he wants to get to the bottom of something. He even led that, I, you could call that an impromptu interview with, look, I want to know what I'm looking for. That's the first thing that I'm trying to establish. All these government people and all these other organizations that are in here that are uh, that are running their mouths off about something they don't know anything about, that, that are not experts in that field, they're testing for stuff that doesn't even matter. So at least, at least this gentleman who is with a private group, we looked into the group, it's a legitimate organization. Uh, at least this gentleman is d trying to do the right thing. Um, and there's there's going to be, uh, I don't even want to think about the, the long-term effects or hell, even the short-term effects. We already know what the short-term effects of this are. I mean, we're going to get into that here in a second, but Bruce, what do you think of this guy? Uh, pretty credible. Um... I know it's to his point about their the, the things that they're testing for is it's just um, pointless. Uh, I, I thought that to begin with when they were in there testing for things like vinyl chloride or um, the what, what was the hydrogen um, was the hydrogen chloride they were hydrogen they were testing chloride, for yeah. that yeah and I'm like it, it you you just look up the the hydrogen chloride you look it up on the internet and it's it says in there that once it's released into the atmosphere, it merges with moisture in the atmosphere and creates hydrochloric acid. So they it, they're not going to find hydro they're they're not going to find the hydrogen chloride. That on its surface already, I was like, this is all a scam. It's it's a sham. They're not actually looking for anything. Uh, the government, I mean. So good on him uh, for being out there trying to find this stuff and and at least getting the truth, uh, you know, and information out there. I don't trust when the government is saying it's safe. Uh, you know, you're safe to return to your homes. It's uh, the drinking water's safe and all of that. Um, I'm I'm sorry. It's too early to tell. First of all, and you're the government. That should be enough to say I don't trust you. Is you're the government. Rule number one: Don't trust anything the government tells you ever. And that goes for all governments, not just the U.S. government, but the U.S. government especially. We are dying slowly. East Palestine residents report bizarre health issues after toxic train derailment. You know, I was um, I was watching an interview on Tucker Carlson the other night. You know, just one of the little clips that came across my desk, and it was uh, it was it was a it was um, it was a resident of uh, of East Palestine, and the guy is literally coughing up blood on the interview. Like he he stops halfway through and he, on live TV and he's like I'm sorry and he's he's like he's coughing up blood. That town needs to be evacuated. And I mean yesterday. This is not even up for debate. Now I've I've heard experts in toxicology that have some of the most advanced laboratories in the United States and they and their colleagues are saying you've got to evacuate that town now. You don't have time to think on this. You've got to get those people out of there. But no, everything's safe. Everything's safe. Doctors, I, I'm quoting here from, from this uh, this individual named, uh, he's 40 years old, name's Wade Lovett. He says, doctors say I definitely have chemicals in me, but there's no one in town who can run toxicological tests to find out which ones they are. That's a little bit of a problem, because if they start doing that, then they're going to have to admit some kind of fault, Right. Then there's going to have to be some accountability. Then people are going to get sued. There's going to be angry people everywhere. And yeah, well, we can't have that because, well, let's just keep this in mind. The rail company, 
More to the point, the investors of the rail company don't tell me that they at least one or two of those representatives of those investors were not on that call when this call was made. Don't tell me you didn't have people from BlackRock and Vanguard, J.P. Morgan and Wells Fargo, at least one representative on each one of those calls before this decision was made. Those are the top investors of that rail company. I'm betting they had somebody there. The governor's office know, of both Ohio and Pennsylvania. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, I, I just wanted to point out the the guy that was coughing out the blood. I know some of the chemicals that they're uh, saying was released are heavier than air. And from other instances of, um, I, I had done some um, research back in the day about um, uh, refrigerants and why they changed some of the refrigerants to do, you know the, the the different types that they have and and you talking about why like they've Freon? done certain yeah like Freon and that kind of st- and the so they they use a refrigerant and you know the canned air that people use for like cleaning off keyboards or your computer yeah. or whatever you know yeah. that stuff uh-huh. it actually has a refrigerant in it and yeah uh, can gets really cold time, when you. When you spray it enough, yeah. Yeah. So there was a time when kids were taking that and huffing that uh, to get a high. The problem was, is the refrigerant is heavier than air. So once it gets in your lungs, it doesn't come out. Um, It has to break down. And it was basically, it was suffocating the kids. Basically, the problem was, is that the gas is heavier than air. This stuff is, the the chemicals that were released in uh, East Palestine some of them were heavier than air. And once the, the that's in your system, I honestly, I don't know the medical procedure to get that out. I mean, I, I, I joked about it when it when I was doing the refrigerant study stuff and was talking to family. I said, maybe they just turn the person upside down and, you know, maybe it'll gravity will do the work. But I mean, I, I, I don't know how to help these people. They, they have these these chemicals are in their lungs. I don't know how to get it out. Like, I don't know what the medical procedure to get those heavier than air uh, gases out of there, uh, because other than the, the gas to break down or I assume the body may eventually uh, dispose of it. But I don't know. And and some of those uh, side effects, people were saying that it felt like they were drowning when they're they, they lay down to sleep. Um, it, it, that, that's because those gases are still in their lungs. Guy says his voice now sounds like Mickey Mouse. He said his normal voice is low. He says it's hard to breathe, especially at night. He says my chest hurts so much at night. I feel like I'm drowning. I cough up a lot of phlegm and I lost my job because the doctor won't release me to go to work. Uh, another account yesterday was the first day in probably three or four days that I could smell anything. I lost my smell and sense of taste. I had an eye infection in both eyes. I was having respiratory illnesses like I was just out of breath. Other members of my family had eye infections and strep throat, said Shelby Walker, who lives a few yards from the epicenter of the crash and explosion. The cleanup crews drive past us at night and won't even look at us. It's like we don't exist. No one has reached out to us or told us anything. Effectively, they don't exist. This is flyover country. I mean, there's no real political benefit for politicians to be there or the government to be there. Um, so, I mean, is it, this is a, an area that voted for Trump. These are clearly white supremacists, um, fascists, whatever you heard Joy they, Behar. they say. They deserved it. You heard her? Yeah. You see what they think of you. You see what they think yeah. of me. That's my home. That, that's my home. What do you want me to say? Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's how they feel about us. That's how they feel about the American people in general. If you step out of line, that's how they feel about you. On that plane crash, it was out of the Daily Fail. Daily, I, I still I can't get over that. The Daily Mail reported that the group specialized in environmental data collection and incident management with a specific focus on industrial toxicology and hygiene. It sounds like if I were a concerned citizen, which I certainly am, 
even though that's not my hometown, my hometown is going to be affected by this is if it's not already. I would say that you've got the city of Cincinnati, which is along the western end of the state across the river from Kentucky, uh, all the way down the southwest point. They have already closed off their access to the Ohio River already. I would venture to say if I'm a concerned citizen, that's exactly the team that I want up there. Apart from the gentleman that we heard from, that's the group of people that I would want to come in and give me some kind of an evaluation or some kind of a report. And I'm betting, I'm just betting that if that group had made it to Ohio and they started doing all of their testing and finding out all of their, you know, preliminary results or or whatever, I'm betting that they were going to publicly announce that this was a whole hell of a lot worse than what people are being told and that the town has to be evacuated immediately. And more than that, more than that, I bet, and I'm again, I'm just betting, because of the proximity to the Ohio River and the fact that this is going to affect the drinking water of over 5 million people in all of those river communities throughout the mid-Ohio Valley and the tri-state area, I'm betting that they would say, or at the very least, make a very strong recommendation that all of the communities along the Ohio River, both Ohio Pennsylvania, West Virginia, and Kentucky sides all the way down to the Mississippi would have to be evacuated. That would cause a humanitarian disaster the likes of which the United States of America, I would argue possibly the world, has never seen before. And how's the United States government going to manage that? They can't even manage themselves. They can't even manage to to come up with some kind of of a budget. They can't even manage to keep the checkbook in line. They can't even manage a visit. Hell, Pothole Pete wasn't even going to make an appearance down there until Trump went. And believe me, I'm no fan of Trump, as I've made my point clear time and again. They weren't even going to go. Biden was asked the other day about going to East Palestine. He said, no, uh, I I mentioned that on the the Zoom, you know, the Zoom, uh, what's it called? The the Zoom, 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 go, Zoom. That's what he said. Instead, his dumb ass is hopping on Air Force One and, and go. I didn't even think he was on Air Force One. I think he took a, I think he took a plane, you know, a different plane or something. Or maybe it was Kamala or whatever. She took a different plane in Germany or whatever. It doesn't matter. Epstein. They go, yeah, yeah. They go to Ukraine. She goes to Munich to the security conference. He goes to Ukraine to pledge another five hundred million. And Ohio doesn't get a dime. The people of my state get told to pound sand, just shut up and, and suffocate and die. How is this not? And I'll say it again. How is this not an act of domestic terrorism against the United States people? How? I'll happily wait for an answer to that question. I I would I would even go a step further and say, when do we classify this as treason? Because we have the government not obeying our our laws in general. And now we're effectively being foreign agents and sending money over to other countries to help other countries. It uh, honestly to the benefit of that country over our own benefit, like over our own needs, not even benefit. It's our needs at this point. Those people need the help. When do we collect? When do we when do we categorize that as treason? Sending that money over there uh, and, and the other dealings that the, the, the Bidens have um, been involved in are, are treasonous themselves. So they, they don't care about the average American. Um, you're just a pawn to their game. You're just a cash cow. Nah, they don't. They don't care. There is some good news, Bruce. The Biden administration took over the cleanup operation in Ohio, in in East Palestine. Uh, And do you know what they did? They immediately put a stop to it. I was going to say nothing happened. Uh, But yeah, worse than nothing, the reverse happened, of course. Yes. uh, The EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, 
because they're there to protect the environment, you know damn well that's what they do, said that the EPA has ordered, and you see that, the federal government asserting that's authority by, by stepping in, they have ordered Norfolk Southern to pause waste shipments out of the community. Actually, that one I'm kind of... Uh, if I'm if I'm living it, so there was two communities that I'm aware of that they were sending uh, waste to. Uh, one of them was in Texas. The other one was in Montana. Um, if I live in either one of those locations, I don't want the waste going to here. Like, yeah, Texas we need to is clean already it taking up, it, it. By the way, Texas yeah. is already taking yeah. some. Yeah. Well, yeah. No, they they already took. Um, what was it? There was supposed to be. I don't remember if it was Montana or Texas. There was supposed to be see 15 cars and they sent back like five or something like that uh train cars and then i think this was topsoil and texas took the liquid if i remember right um contaminated uh, you know liquid waste if they have a means to process it that's one thing that that wasn't disclosed if they have a means to to process what was said in the article was it made it sound like it's being stored there no, you send it off somewhere so it can be processed and, and cleaned up. You don't just store it. So that that was my issue with it on on the I just want efficiency done. I want it done correctly. Don't don't be pushing the problem off to another state or another uh, you know, community and then have something else go wrong there because uh heaven knows government is efficient and clean and yeah. According to the EPA spokeswoman, uh, Deb Deborah Shore, I think is her name. Deborah Shore, yes. She says everyone wants this contamination gone from the community. They don't want the worry and they don't want the smell, and we owe it to the people of East Palestine to move it out of the community as quickly as possible. She went on to say that the EPA will ensure that all waste is disposed of in a safe and lawful manner at EPA certified facilities to prevent further release of hazardous substances and impacts to the communities. EPA certified. You mean the same entity that has poisoned rivers and lands already themselves and go in and harass the average American because they have a pond on their land and now it's considered a marsh and you can't do anything to the land. I'm sorry, uh, the EPA, the, the listener can't see, but I'm flipping them off. That's what I think. The EPA just needs to... <sighs> Not to be outdone, the Environmental Protection Agency of other states has now been involved in this as well. A mysterious white dust blankets parts of West Virginia, Virginia, and Maryland. Oh, and it goes further than that, but I will get to that in a second. Parts of West Virginia, Virginia, and Maryland were blanketed with a mysterious fight wine dust, or fight wa- fine white dust, say that three times fast, late Thursday uh, into the er- or late Thursday evening into Friday morning. Now, it just so happens that that is right along that area that we were talking about, Bruce, you know, with the prevailing winds, it was just kind of kind of carry it over that direction. Yeah, that's where it's going to go. It's going to go right over in the Appalachian Mountains. Again, another place where they hate. They hate you over there. The eastern panhandle of West Virginia appeared to be hit the hardest. Gee, I wonder why. And these mysterious dust blankets everywhere. Mysterious. God only knows where it came from or what it is. The photos and videos are being posted as far away as Winchester, Virginia and Hagerstown, Maryland. That is quite a distance, but it goes even further. 
A Facebook page that tracks the emergencies in the Panhandle and East Panhandle uh, working fires was uh, was early to post about the dust. The West Virginia Department of Environmental Protection said that they have requested that anybody experiencing these issues should call 911 immediately and have their local fire department respond. They also advised to shut doors and windows and avoid outdoors at the time to- or at the time as a common sense approach until it can be identified. But of course, they said that uh, there's there's no concern. You don't need to worry about that, even though people are saying that they were getting like that chlorine smell from it, which was kind of strange. I mean, you get dust that just falls like that. It has a chlorine smell. Huh. Again, I'm, I'm betting this goes further than just those river communities that I was mentioning, right? It goes further than that now. Uh, as, and as we talked about last week, this is all the way up into Toronto, Ontario. When you've got rainbow-colored chemicals that are all across your front lawn and all up and down the streets with snow melt, that's a little bit of a problem. That's a little bit of a cause for concern. And you talked about these chemicals being heavier than air. Well, we also know, at least from the initial, uh, right, from like the, the creek beds and, and you know things like that, we can see that this is heavier than water as well. This is not floating on top of the water like a, a petrochemical would do, like an oil-based chemical would do. It would float along the top of the water because it's lighter than water. That's why you have that separation there. But this, this is in the bed itself. So when you would see like the senators like J.D. Vance or, or Doug Mastriano, when they would go over there and, and they would start scraping the bottom with a stick, you would see it get agitated and it would come up all around them or the lady that tossed a rock in there. And the entire bed of that creek just got active. In a later post... Uh, Jefferson County, West Virginia, Homeland Security and Emergency Management posted on Facebook that, quote, our office has been following the reports of the dust seen throughout the eastern panhandle of West Virginia. The attached post is from one of our meteorologists connected with a TV station in West Virginia and seems to be able to provide some knowledge insight into the observations. We will be following up with further information from the state as it becomes available. You see, again, you can trust the experts here. You can trust the government when they tell you. They pointed to another local meteorologist named Spencer Atkins, who wrote clearly stuff in the air is a concern anywhere in the entire region after East Palestine. But satellite scientists pointed that uh, pointed that the dust plume, uh, the dust plume out early Thursday because it was pretty evident. Now, they also found this up in Connecticut. Oh, yes, Connecticut. You know, all the way up there in New England that borders the state of Maine. Yeah, all the way up there. They reported the same thing. They said similar dust fell in Connecticut just last week, and it reportedly had a chlorine smell, the same type of dust and the same type of smell that people were reporting in the eastern panhandle of West Virginia. Some have speculated that it could be chemicals from the, the train derailment in Ohio earlier this month. NBC Connecticut meteorologists aren't sure that that could be the case since the fire and chemical release from that derailment happened two weeks ago. Ah, do you see? You see, there's no connection to that. You see, it happened so long ago that there's no way. There's no way that those chemicals could possibly reach up there. There's no way. Just couldn't happen. Maybe uh, maybe they need to talk to Pfizer or Moderna and they can have a, a vaccine ready for these people to vaccinate against these gases. Maybe so. Yeah, maybe so. NBC Connecticut chief meteorologist said, now it is possible that the residue from the dust kicked up from a dust storm in the plains just a few days ago. You see a dust storm. It's a dust storm. Although uh, he did say that it had a a chlorine-like odor when he was in West Hartford on Friday morning, he says, but he doesn't have an explanation for that. Um, Maybe, I don't know, take a sample and do a test. Uh, That would be a good start. So they're, they're telling the people... Call 911, go in your house, close your windows, you know, all that stuff. Don't have any contact with it, uh, but you're fine. Don't worry. It's all good. Everything's okay. 
you're fine. Just don't touch it. That, that, that's kind of contradictory. If, if it's so bad that I'm not supposed to touch it, I'm not supposed to be out in it, but I'm okay if I stay in my house, which, uh, yeah, you can seal your house up unless you're, you're sealing it with plastic to ensure there's no airflow at all. You're going to get residue from, uh, you know, some leakage from the outside in, and you're exposed to the chemical. And as we listen to the other expert, if you can smell it, you've been exposed to it. So what chemical are they smelling that has that chlorine-like odor? Clearly, Bruce, it's fresh air. That's all it is. You know, after a rainstorm, you know, you get that that smell in the air. That's, that's what that is. That's fresh air. Yeah, chlorine. Yeah, you get that chlorine smell after yeah, a fresh rain. Yeah, that's yeah. it's that disinfectant smell is what that is. Yeah, it's clean air is what that is. You're just you're putting chlorine in the air. So you see it's it's cleaning it. That's what you're doing with it. Just like a swimming pool. Uh, I, I hope it's not actually chlorine gas that they're smelling because uh, that's you mean like um, chemical warfare from the first world war, which is basically what this yeah. is. That would, yeah, that would be mustard gas. For yes. the, the listeners' sake, chlorine gas is mustard gas. You know, I remember there was a plant along the uh, the Ohio River, and it was it was just I want to say it was just north of the town that I grew up in. You know, they had all those plants that were up and down the road, chemical plants and things like that. And I remember that there was a um, it was on the West Virginia side, and it was uh, some plant that manufactured something. I want to say it was had something to do with like plastics or something like that. They accidentally, and it was a legit accident. Uh, they had like all the investigators and everything in there. It was a legit accident, but they vented some chlorine gas, and they shouldn't have. Like they, they had like the actual, you know, like the the yellowish green or whatever it was. They vented some chlorine gas, and immediately all of the like the alert systems and the sirens and everything went up and, and everybody was told to get in their houses and, and shut things over you know close it and everybody in the public was actually told what was going on and they were told that this was a complete accident this was not supposed to happen and you know what nearest i can tell there was no fallout from that you know they had testers out there all the time but do you know what happened the people at the plant that did that they actually immediately leveled with the public and told them what was going on. There was an evacuation for like the immediate area, but they leveled with the public and they told them what was going on. And they said, look, we screwed up. This was our problem. We did not mean to do this. And it was found to be exactly that. That's not what happened here. This is a completely different situation. Makes one wonder, doesn't it? Was this uh, intentional or accidental? Because if this were an accident, as you said, you would come out and shoot straight with the public and say, hey, look, uh, this was uh, this was an accident. Here's the details, and uh, we're working to resolve this. Yeah, that, but that's not what happened at all, is it? No, not at all. All right, you got anything else on the train derailment? I mean, we'll be continuing to cover this because it uh, th this this one hits home for me. Literally, it hits home for me. So it's yeah, I, I get a little worked up on this one. Uh, so we're going to continue to. Um, to stay with this for as long as it takes. And I, you know, I, I'm sorry, you know, that that's my own jealousy, I suppose, but you know, to cover the issue, but, um, I think it deserves to be covered because the shameful, shameful, disgusting actions or inactions, I would argue of the, the, the so-called media to not even want to touch this because of yeah. political agendas. You people are pathetic. You're pathetic. Yeah. Just like, like that woman that we played yesterday from the New York times lady, Shut up. The company you work for has to sell floors in their building to keep the lights on because their subscriptions are at historic lows. Shut your damn mouth. Yep. Uh, as far as anything else to say, no, uh, I just I hope I hope they can find out what's going what what what's there and what's going on and get it resolved quickly. 
and efficiently without any other uh, damage done. I think they've done more than enough at this point. Moving right along. Bruce, did you know that the Pentagon has lost track of $220 billion in military equipment? Uh, which which part? Um, are we talking about uh, Afghanistan? Are we talking about uh, Ukraine? All the stuff we've sent over there? We're talking about our own assets? Uh, yeah. Well, according to the GAO, which stands for the Government Accountability Office, I think that's an oxymoron in and of itself, is it not? Yeah. Uh, yeah. The Department of Defense, or DOD for short, uh, which is the one of the largest federal agencies we have. I think everything is under the umbrella of DOD and DHS. I think, hell, I think DHS is, is over the DOD. I'm not sure. But anyway, uh, they have publicly admitted to uh, losing track of over $220 billion worth of equipment that they gave out to military contractors. <laughs> you know, we just misplace that stuff all the time. Which military contractors? Does it say? Not that I'm seeing, uh, but it says here that uh, the DOD frequently contracts with third parties for a host of services such as intelligence gathering, weapons development, and transportation. They forgot to mention the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, at least yeah. these companies, these companies subcontract with China for certain things. Sometimes the DOD will loan out government property to these contractors, including ammunition. We loan ammunition. How do you loan ammunition? How do you loan it? Because I'm pretty sure that when you get it, you have to use it and you can't give it back. So yeah. how do you how do you loan ammunition? We loan missiles and torpedoes. How do we do that? How do we loan these things to a contractor? Does a contractor give them back? Do, do they do they use them and then and then remanufacture them and then give them back? Is is that what we do? Or just pay them back for the you get the hardware, but if you use it, uh, you pay us back what it's worth. Or if you don't use it, give it back to us, I guess is how they do it. Well, there is one little caveat to this. They say that the agency itself as in the DOD. They've never actually passed an audit. They've failed every audit they've ever had. I would say hmm. that that's a little bit of a problem, wouldn't you? I Yeah, I would. I would tend to agree. In fact, you know, I've said before that defense is one of the only things that I think really should uh, exist really in our government. That's one of the things that our government is required to do uh, to defend us from uh, foreign and domestic threats to the Constitution, mind you, which also covers the people. But I, I, I fail to see how giving equipment to contractors is is protecting us, I guess, is, is the problem that I'm running into is, um, yeah. Could this be tied to, uh, you know, some clandestine jobs that they've done? I don't know, maybe like Ukraine or Yemen. Yemen. Yeah. Uh, or maybe the, the assets they lost in Afghanistan with the bad pullout. Maybe that's why they accidentally lost it is they're paying them off to, you know, keep them from. You, you mean the assets that we just gave to Russia, China and mm -hmm. Iran, those assets, yep. we just gave yep. them to them is basically yeah. what we did. Or, well, excuse me, that's not what we did. That's what the Biden administration did. Uh, that's what yep. the Pentagon did is we just gave it to them. Uh, or maybe I should say the Obama administration. Would that be better? I mean, that, that would be accurate too. Yeah. Yeah. All the, above. the agency. Yeah. yeah. The agency, the DOD, when I say the, the agency's never passed an audit and the agency could only account for 39% of its 3.5 trillion in assets during the last audit in November of last year. Why are we giving them money? If that's the case, why do we allocate money in the budget for them if they just squander it like this? Now, look, Bruce and I were discussing this privately last night. I understand that there are contractors like uh, Lockheed, like Raytheon, like I understand these, you know, GE and, and all these stuff, all these contractors. I, I understand that these things exist. I'm not ignorant of that. 
and I understand that we fund projects that are black projects. Okay, I I understand that. I don't know anything about them, but I understand that every country does this. That should not come as a surprise to anybody. That's just common sense. And I understand that we have funding that goes off the books for these these types of things. I get it. But we're funneling we're funneling this money. I, I find it hard to believe that we, you can only account for thirty nine percent. So we're sending the rest to fund black projects. That's the only thing I can think here is you're you're shuttling the rest of the money out the back door to fund your own little pet projects that are off the books with these contractors. That's the only thing I can think. Now, if that's the case, oh. okay. Let's look at value for money. What are we getting? We getting that? Uh, we getting that new? Um, well, that's not off the books. The uh, the new stealth bomber that we're supposed to get. That's not off the books. That's that's out in the open. Yeah. So what else are we funding? What else yeah. are we not being told about? That's the question that you need to ask right there. Yeah. If, if they can only account for that small portion of their budget, where's the rest of it going? And as you said, uh, those projects. What 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 are the projects you're working on? What 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 projects do the American people need to know about that you're working on? Because uh, last I I recall, you worked for us. Yeah. I kind of have an issue with, I'm torn. <laughs> I'm torn with this whole top secret thing, you know, having top secret files and all that kind of stuff. I'm torn. I understand why we have them. It's to protect uh, peoples and, and whatnot, locations, so forth, informants, what have you, assets. However, at the same time, that's that, that, that opens the door for hiding things, just as this. That's my problem. There's no transparency. And then when you ask these agencies, hey, we want transparency on this thing. Oh, I don't know anything about that. I can't disclose that, what have you, to the people that are their superiors. When you're in front of Congress, as an example, there is, uh, especially when you're... Um, you know, a part of the intelligence or whatever the branches where they have all the top secret clearance. Um, there's only one category of top secret clearance that they do not have access to. And that's whatever the president classifies. When the president classifies it at the very top level, um, Congress doesn't have access to that. Like it's a presidential, I forget what the, the name of it is, but there's, there is a classification that the president can do that Congress cannot see. Outside of that, Congress has, they should have access to everything. They're there to represent us. And because they don't, uh, yeah, it, it, we're losing control of our government apparatus. I would say we've already lost it, but yeah. Again, like I said, I understand that there are projects that have to go off the books. I get it, right? For, for matters of, you know, if you're doing like a top secret research project, for example, I'm not one of these alien conspiracy theory people. I mean, if you want that kind of stuff, there's plenty of podcasts out there for you for that. But just looking at this uh, this Area 51, right? It's this this facility out there in Groom Lake, right? Let's just look at that, okay? You can equate that to the movies, you know, Independence Day and all that stuff. Bill Clinton, when he was in office, he actually declassified the fact that we actually have something there. I mean, people know that it is there. The U.S. government at least admits now openly, yeah, there's a facility there. You know what that facility is? It was a test facility for experimental aircraft during the Cold War. And they still do testing there because it's just a great place to do it. It was one of the old nuclear testing sites as well. So, I mean, I understand. Yeah. But I understand in that type of thing, when you build an air base out there in the middle of nowhere and you've got a seclusion zone around it, you know, I think it's like 20 miles or something, though. I expect that to be off the books because you're testing experimental aircraft and you're you're conducting psychological warfare against another sovereign nation, you know, an enemy. In this case, that's where we developed the SR-71 Blackbird. I, I expect the F-117. I expect these types of projects to take place. 
in the matters of national security and the defense of the American people. I expect that to happen. And I expect some of the budget to say, or some of the people in the budget office to say, well, you know, we don't exactly have all this accounted for because, well, we just, we got this other thing we're working on. And if you go into a, a realm of it being classified and the person at the, the Congressional Budget Office doesn't have clearance, fine, you get the next person that does. And then they can say that project is being worked on and those assets are being well looked after. That's all you need to know. And that's it. I would accept that as an American. I would accept that. Same. Yeah, those those assets are accounted for. We know where they are. Yes. We know what, you know, that, but we're not going to tell you the details of it. OK, fine. Yeah, that, that that's fine. That's that's enough. We don't even get that. No, we just get. Uh, sorry, we don't. We don't know where that is. And you've got more contractors. We got more. You know, we have more contractors than we have soldiers. Did you know that? It's like three contractors to every soldier. Yeah, I would. Well, there, there's a few things there. One, if you're if you're ex-military, um, we don't really have a great program to uh, reintroduce um, soldiers to civilian life. And, you know, we don't we don't have great systems to help them assimilate back in. Uh, I don't know what the right wordage is there. Uh, so reintegrate. Yeah, reintegrate. Thank you. They typically have one skill set because of if you're a soldier that went in when you're just turned 18, you have a very select, uh, narrow scope of skill set, right? You're trained to kill. Now, granted, there's other areas in there, you know, you, you might be intelligence or, you know, motor pool or whatever, what, what have you. There's, there's a lot of areas, but to go into the civilian world for the average uh, soldier, um, you don't really come back with any skills that you learned in the field necessarily. That's going to help your civilian life. So you go into that. So you go into uh, contract work. Makes sense. You already have the connections. You already have the skill set. Um, you might be good at it already. So that's no surprise. However, this is the other problem that I have with the um, losing track of this um, and, and saying that they sent it to contractors. They don't list which contractors is it American contractors. Is it is a foreign contractors. Where did you send this? Because, you know, as we have all the uh, going going on in, in Ukraine and all the money we've sent over there and hardware we've sent over there. Um, is this going to be another fast and furious situation? Is this hardware that you loaned out? Is it going to end up on our border again, end up killing someone on our border or within our border? Um, is it going to be used against us in another country because you lost track of it? Um, that's my other issue with this. Or um, did it end up on a pallet somewhere in, a, in an enemy country's uh, airfield um, for them to dissect and, and uh, reverse engineer our hardware? Do you mean like the, um, you mean like our, our drone? You mean like our, our Sentinel drone? Our stealth drone? You mean that? Yeah. Yeah, precisely. That we you mean the one that the Iran. Iranians brought down with an EMP? That one? Yeah, the technology that they didn't know how to make. And it just perfectly landed at an airbase there for them to uh, look at. Yeah. Yeah, mm. that one. Because an EMP, it'll cause any aircraft to, to do a perfect three-point landing. You, yeah. You know that. It, yeah. Right at every a military yeah. airbase. Right at every time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Every time. Yeah. It, it, they're, they're just program that way, I guess. Yeah. Wouldn't be the fact it, that we uh, were sending another billion 
another billion. The Biden administration, he, he pledged 500 million, right? Not a dime to Ohio, 500 million. He went there to, to sign the check personally. I wonder, did he fire a prosecutor while he was there? Just asking, asking for a friend. Did he fire a prosecutor while he was there? Right. I'm yeah. just, just asking. He gives 500 billion. He delivers the 500 million personally while he's there. Well, of course, I can't really say pallets of cash in this case, uh, because I honestly, the money that's being used here, when you have the administration come out and they guarantee 500 million in arms shipments or 500 million in economic assistance, that is not going to actual arms deals. Like the, the U.S. government is not loading up planes full of armaments and sending them over here. That's not what's going on. If you were to do all of this, if you were to pledge 500 million or or 2 billion in arms deals or whatever to Eastern Europe, to, to Ukraine, do you know how long it would take all of us to gather all that stuff up from a logistics standpoint and get it on a plane, get it to Germany, because that's where it's going to go, because this is the only country in Europe where we have the facilities to be able to do that, apart from maybe Italy and the UK. To be able to process all of that, where we have the logistics and to be able to do that, then you're going to have to load it up on rail cars because that's how they transport it here. And you're going to have to send it out of Germany through Poland and then down across the border into Ukraine. It's going to take you at least at least a month just for one shipment, one shipment. And that's just arms. That's not vehicles. It's going to take you at least a month to get everything from inked deal in D.C. to Ukraine to theater. So we're sending 500 million. Then Yellen comes out from the Treasury Department and says the criminal banker she is comes out and says, we're going to pledge 10 billion. The Biden administration comes out the next day and says, we're going to give another 2 billion. Yellen is in Ukraine today, shaking hands with Zelensky right here, Bruce. You can see her. Yeah. Literally shaking hands with Zelensky, pledging oh. another billion dollars, one point something billion and we're pledging an additional, uh, what was it? We've been doing this for a while, but we're, we're giving $444 million to Yemen in humanitarian aid. I thought that was a deal we were working with the Saudis on. Oh, wait, we're not working with the Saudis anymore because, well, the old man, he showed up over there and they made a laughing stock out of him and sent him slunking back to the U.S. And the Chinese Communist Party decided they were going to stick their nose in over there. Now, the Saudis are talking about joining BRICS. Absolute disgrace. All of this is. And it's all done. I, again, I, I hearken back to this um, th this whole deal. This is all being done on purpose in a very methodical and meticulous way. All of this. This is all being done purposely. If you look at it, if you examine the script, the theater that we're all watching, all of this is doing what exactly? All of this is being pointed back at the United States specifically and the West in general as Oh, these are buffoons. These are morons. These are people that are mismanaging everything. They don't know what they're doing. All of this is meant to demoralize us. That's what it's meant to do. It's meant for us, as in the critical thinking people, we're meant to lose faith in our democratic forms of government. They've got the politicians compromised from here to the moon. This whole thing with Nord Stream, I'm not going to get into that. I've made my standpoint on that clear. We had a long conversation about that again in prep on my standpoint in that. I heard Trump. I heard Trump saying it couldn't have been Russia because, my God, look how much money they're going to lose. That is your problem right there. That is your problem. He is an entrepreneur. I will I will grant him that he is an entrepreneur. But my God, man, you cannot see the forest for the trees here. They do not care about our money in the manner that you're speaking of. If you think for one minute, anybody, any any doubting person out there, if you think for one minute that the Russians 
care about being capitalist or, or, or earning money or profit or whatever, I got some news for you, right? I've been studying the Soviet way of doing politics for how long? I mean, I'm not an expert by any means. There are other people out there that are a whole hell of a lot more well-read into that than I am. I just consider myself to be a novice when it comes to that. But to anybody that has that question about whether or not the, the Russians and, and Putin and all this stuff, don't forget where he came from. Don't forget his background. Not for a second. Never forget how he was able to win over George W. Bush. Vladimir Putin showed up to the United States to meet with George W. Bush with a cross hanging around his neck. And Bush, you know, he took a took a special liking to that. And Putin told him a story. He says, you know, there was a church that was that was burned in my hometown. And my mother found that cross and she put it around my neck. And Bush thought, well, that's a Christian man right there. That's a man that shares our values. What did that do? That opened the door to business deals. That opened the door to trade. The Russians are only interested in our money for one reason. They want to enhance their military might. That's all they want to do. If you go back to the conflicts in Eastern Europe in, in the 80s and 90s, the conflicts that they had in these countries, Georgia, uh, the conflicts they were involved with, Chechnya, Kosovo, Serbia, the Bosnians, the whole issue with the Clintons and everything. Whenever the Russians were able to be brought into this, this situation, whenever they had these conflicts in these countries, they had victories in the end, but the losses that they took were so horrendous because of the mismanagement, the disorganization, and the Soviet era equipment and hardware that they were still, they were not able to maintain it. I mean, hell, I was talking last week, they still got almost 3,000 DC-3s in service that we gave them under Lend-Lease. They knew at that point, back in the late 90s, coming out of the Clinton years, going into the Bush years, they needed to tap into Western capital to be able to improve the state of their military readiness. They couldn't do it domestically. If you think Russia's after Western money, to improve their business deals and their economy and their products. Name one Russian car. Name one. American, European countries, I don't care. Name one Russian car. I'll wait. Name one Russian appliance. Name one Russian dishwasher, refrigerator, television, something. Name me one Russian microwave. One of them. Give me one Russian consumable. One. There aren't any, are there? They don't make, they don't mass produce products that they sell the world. They are dependent on their oil exports, only in so much as to create business deals and business opportunities. Oh, we just want to supply the, the Germans with oil and gas and energy. That's all we want to do. No, they're still pissed off about what happened at Stalingrad. Get that through your head. They will not let that one go. Our people within our, our apparatuses, the intelligence agencies, the, the defense contractors, the people in the Pentagon, you know, I, I, there are some that are wise to this. They're not stupid, but there are a lot of people who are not. They would just assume ignore it. Oh, there's no way. There's no way that they don't want to do business with us. The ideas of doing business with these organized crime syndicates, climate change, the LGBTQ agenda, this wokeness garbage. Where do you think the ideas came from? I'm not talking about the current agendas, like the, the, the looniness that just keeps getting whipped up further and further. We're just doing it to ourselves now. But the seeds of discontent were planted by Russia and China. How is it that people don't understand the most basic things? Put all this aside for just a second. If you think that all this is crazy, put all this aside. Who are they aligned with? Who's Russia aligned with? They're aligned with China. They've had a military agreement since the late 80s, early 90s. And it's just now becoming public. It's out in the open. They're aligned with Cuba. They're aligned with Venezuela. They're aligned with Lula da Silva in Brazil. They've partnered with the drug cartels in, in Colombia and all throughout Central and South America. I mean, are they carrying M4s in the drug cartels? 
They carrying M16s? I don't think so. They're carrying AKs, aren't they? By the mid-90s, Russia and China controlled at least two-thirds of the world's illegal drug trade. Where do you think all that fentanyl in the United States is coming from? We're not manufacturing it ourselves. So this whole concept that somehow Russia is the good guy, man, I am like, I'm horrified. I'm horrified. The people that believe that, you are just as duped as the people that believe the government under COVID. You're just as duped. And you know what? You're not going to see it. You're not going to see it until that door gets slammed shut. Just like Yuri Bezmenov talked about, you will not believe that it will happen that fast. The time bomb is ticking. So keep supporting Russia. And I'm not saying our, our people are any better here. Our people are deeply compromised by these people. That's what they do. That's what they do. We can get into the whole Epstein line of connections there, too. I can go down that road. Oh, I can play that card. It's all these people that say, oh, well, uh, he was Mossad and he worked for Israel. BS. That money, that line of secession, it wasn't Epstein. Yes, he had an office at Harvard and all that stuff. He had Bill Gates connections and all that stuff. Okay, fine. But let's look at the real power behind the throne. Let's look at Ghislaine Maxwell. She was the real power. Let's be honest here. Who was her father? Take a look at him. Where did he come from? Robert Maxwell. Where was he born? Anybody know? Anybody ask the question about him? Well, th- this guy, he he was he was born in Czechoslovakia. It was a Soviet bloc country, by the way. Rose to prominence as a uh, as a media proprietor. That was his thing. Of course, if you go back into the Soviet era, you go back into there. What is the one place that you need to have your best people embedded? Where is the one place in society? Information control. Well, no better place than the media, right? Bezmanov himself, he worked for Novosti, right? We know it as RT today. R.A. Novosti. Novosti, excuse me. Western fallacy. Trying to speak that. But Robert Maxwell, media mogul, KGB guy, right? Had all their people in there. What did the KGB do? They compromised people. That's what they do. Most notably, sex operatives. That was their thing for the longest time. Of course, this guy, you know, I can go back into his his uh, bio and all that stuff, but, you know, people can go and, and look that up for themselves. But um, this guy here, he, um, he was, well, he fell off of his, uh, <clears throat> fell off of his, uh, his yacht in the middle of the ocean, drowned, you know, just one of those things. Of course, he had a daughter. Of course, he had several daughters, but the one daughter named Ghislaine, she took over the family business. Now, they had, of course, they had left the, uh, the Soviet Union and they had moved to to England. She, was, of course, was born in France. Ghislaine Maxwell, she was born in France. But you see, these guys that work for these foreign intelligence agencies, you know, they, they have a habit of getting debriefed by another agency. Or when you go through that debriefing process, I'm sure that they usually give you an opportunity to, well, do some work for them because, well, they'd really appreciate your expertise in those areas. And then, of course, if you defect, <clears throat> defect, you can essentially become a double agent, right? Well, like father, like daughter, like father, like son. She takes over the family business when he's no longer available. So you want to tell me that Epstein was the brains of that? You want to tell me that Epstein was the was the guy that compromised people? Uh-uh. No. Now, I'm just calling a spade a spade here. I'm just laying the foundation. You can make your own mind up. But our people that are compromised here in the West, in the bureaucracy, in the governments, all the way up to the Biden family, Joe Biden himself, when I talked last week about the uh, the Bukowski archives, 79, he led the envoy to the Soviet Union when he said, look, we're with you. But for manners of public consumption, I, I have to make it appear like I'm, I'm against you. Barack Obama, the hot mic with Dmitry Medvedev on the stage when he says, look, I just just need to get through this last election. Tell Vladimir that you know I'll, I'll be able to do what he needs 
after the election. That wasn't supposed to happen. We weren't supposed to hear that. So are these people here, are they any better than what I'm saying that we should be against? No, they're one and the same. Keep that in mind. You got anything else to add to that? Yeah, since we brought up Epstein, I just want to remind people that Epstein didn't kill himself. It's an astute observation, my friend. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, yeah. Just You mean just after all that, you mean after all that, you're telling me that he, you don't believe that he killed himself? Well, even even if you didn't say all that, just the the medical record of of the bones that were broken, he would not have been able to do himself. It's like the guy that was found with the electrical cord around the tree and the shotgun blast, and there was a suicide. There was no shotgun, of course, but it was a suicide. Yeah, yeah, ruled a suicide. Yeah, yeah, yeah and he was it, that report. He was reported as being hung from the tree, uh, but when you see the actual pictures. He was not hung from the tree. He was tied to the tree with an extension cord. There's a difference. That um, you would have thought that would have been uh, an important detail in the media's narrative. But yeah, just like the Epstein case, they kind of leave out some uh, important details to push their narrative. Just a few. All right, we're going to have to call this one done. We will be back again tomorrow. Bruce, I want to thank you for being here today. Thank you to all of the listeners. God bless everyone. And have a great evening.